greet you today in the name of the Lord Jesus. What a privilege is for us to be gathered together today in the presence of God. Amen. Let's turn to Psalms 110, if you would. <clears throat> Let's go a little bit more on our journey of the honeymoon. No doubt there's lots of questions that you have in your mind about how all these things are going to be. I generally tend to generate that for whatever reason. I answer five and make 50, so it just comes with the turf, I guess. But hopefully you'll have a few things answered. But I'm sure as we look at it, that it's, uh, as Brother Bram tells us in the church age book about those in the tribulation period that would miss the millennium, he said it's even more precious and greater than what we had ever imagined. So you can imagine if he would say that, then what about us? And we're truly living in the hour when it ought to be the anticipation of our heart, just the coming of the Lord Jesus and what lays before us. Psalms 110 is the, as I mentioned it last night, the most quoted scripture of the Old Testament that was quoted in the New Testament. Several instances, um, some direct quotations, some indirect, but 27 different references are made to Psalms 110 from the New Testament more than any other passage of Scripture in the Old. So it ought to be pretty important to God, and it should be pretty important to us as well. A Psalm of David, The Lord said unto my Lord. Now you can see by the spelling of the word here that we have two different words that we're looking at in the Hebrew words. The caps of L-O-R-D, which is Jehovah said unto my Lord, capital L, and lowercase letters on the other. So it is, Jehovah said unto Adonai, Sit thou at my right hand until I make thine enemies thy footstool. The Lord shall send the rod of thy strength out of Zion. Rule thou in the midst of thine enemies. The people shall be willing, listen now, thy people shall be willing in the day of thy power, in the beauties of holiness from the womb of the morning, thou hast the dew of thy youth. I'm going to read that one again. Y'all just look at me like I'm really weird, but you wait till we get to this verse. It'll help you. Thy power shall be willing in the day. Thy people, thy people shall be willing in the day of thy power. In the beauties of holiness from the womb of the morning, thou hast the dew of thy youth. Look out, devil, when they come. The Lord hath sworn and will not repent. Thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Now, what a thing to say when we have the ushering in of the millennium. What has Melchizedek got to do with the millennium? Well, if it's a priest, then there must be folks that's going to need to be saved. Amen. The Lord has sworn and will not repent. Thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Let's pray together. Father, we love you today. Thank you for your word. I ask you, Lord Jesus, you would help us now. So we endeavor, dear God, to break forth the breath of life. As we, as the people of God, are under the inspiration of the Holy Ghost, we believe he's breathing right through us today. Breathe upon us, Lord. 
breathe upon us your blessed spirit. Breathe upon us understanding, O oh God, when you were here, Lord Jesus, before your departure, and you breathed upon your apostles, your disciples, you breathed on them and said, Receive ye the Holy Ghost. So we believe you're still breathing today the breath of eternal life. Breathe understanding. Breathe new births. Breathe deliverance. Oh, Father, help us today. Take your word and speak to our hearts that it may generate the very life of God. Granted, Father, we ask in the name of the Lord Jesus. And the saints said, Amen. God bless you. you may be seated. <clears throat> it's always sad whenever false teachers will take um, the word of God, the portion of the word of God, and try to mix up uh, theology and, and traditions of men, bring confusion to the hearts and the minds of people. Psalms 110 has certainly been one of those that has been done that way. Because of a lack of the understanding of the true meaning of the Godhead, you'd think that coming out of the church ages, when we came into the message of the hour, that all of that would pretty much be gone. But sad to say, some of the false teachers around this message base their very things also from Psalms 110. The Lord said unto my Lord, sit at thy right hand, uh, my right hand, till I make thine enemies thy footstool. Uh, those that, of course, lack understanding and revelation of really who God is and how many people's in the Godhead. So when they read it to them, it sounds like two people. But if you have an understanding of the Godhead, you know there ain't two gods. There's only one. But yet, and all God... God knew exactly that this would come, and it's always been that way. Now, as I quoted to you last night, the Targum of Jonathan, which is one of the old Hebrew manuscripts, actually quotes this in saying, The Lord said to his word. So the Lord, David said, The Lord said unto my Lord. So Jehovah said unto Adonai. So David in the spirit heard Jehovah speaking to David's son, which was the Messiah. Now what a, a profound thing that this must have been, that David was allowed to be the channel by which the Father God would speak these words of inspiration to the Messiah, the Lord Jesus, and it's going to be hundreds and hundreds of years after that David even leaves the earth. So he does not say the revelation of Jehovah to me or the revelation of Jehovah to Solomon, but the revelation of Jehovah to my son, which is Adonai, which was, of course, the Messiah. Now, what makes it difficult whenever people are going to try to look at the Godhead is that many people still carry over the concept of the church ages, and that is that God is a man. And that the Lord Jesus is a separate man. And that the Holy Ghost, well, they're not quite sure on that, but they identify him as a person. And, of course, you can't be a person out of that being a person. So they want to identify God as being a man, the Lord Jesus as a man. Maybe the Holy Ghost is, maybe he ain't. He might be a spirit, he might be a man, or he might be both. So I'm not sure what he winds up being. But we know according to the Scripture that God actually is not a man anyway. As a matter of fact, the Bible says God is not a man that he should lie. 
So then a carnal mind would read this portion of Scripture and they'd say, well, Jehovah said unto Adonai, sit thou at my right hand until I make thine enemies thy footstool. Then a carnal person without the understanding of what the Godhead is really all about, they'll make two people out of that. They had a separate distinct office for the fatherhood and another distinct office for the sonship. And they have the sonship which will surrender this borrowed power that they think he has he will surrender it back over to the old man one day and then the old man will take it all back over and the young man will just kind of be a lieutenant or something like that in the kingdom of God but you know when you really look into the word of God you realize how foolish that truly is and I said foolish because it really is but when you think in the, in the lines of the way God describes himself, that God is not a man. God is not a human being. God is not a mortal creature. God does not have eyes or hands or eyes or ears or anything like we have. They are eyes, but they're supernatural eyes. They are hands, but they're supernatural hands. And when we talk about the right hand of God, God does not have a right hand any more than he has a left hand. But it is a significance of power and authority. Now when you look at it that way, then you can see how that Jehovah could speak to Adonai and say, sit thou here at my authority, at my predisposed power, until I make thine enemies thy footstool. Now, you know, if the devil cannot make you, make you a heathen and make you believe three, then he'll make you a little bit less of a heathen and have you believe in two. You know, but what really, we don't want to believe in either one. We want to believe that there's one God. Here, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. He ain't two, he ain't one half, he ain't two and a half, but he is one. Now, because of the lack of this, especially, of course, coming down through the darkness of the church ages, then when the church came out of the church ages, mixed up with all these other ideologies of salvation, how to get saved, what heaven is, so on and so on, and we're still being purged even to this very day, away from the tradition of the church ages. And you can see why that people come out with such mixed up ideas. But you never find a real true Hebrew believing in three gods. You'll never find Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph. You'll never find Peter, James, John, Bartholomew, Matthew, any of those guys ever believing in a trinity. They believed in one God. So if we are apostolic and our hearts have been turned back, then guess how many we ought to believe in? I don't care what some message theologian says. I'm not interested in message theologians. I want truths myself. Now, whenever you look at this, then, whenever God says through his prophetic utterance through David, and he's now speaking to the millennium kingdom, by which the Lord Jesus was never able to assert a position of a throne on the earth under the dispensation of the church ages, which was Son of God. Son of God is the baptism of the Holy Ghost. But yet David said, the Lord said unto my Lord, said, 
sit thou here at my right hand until I make thine enemies thy footstool. Now in the time of the reign of the millennium, the Lord Jesus will assert the authority given to him from Jehovah. It will there be that he will be the king over all the earth. And the bride, of course, will be with him at his side doing whatever it is that he delegates for us to do. When all the kings of the earth have been subjugated to the very power of God, then whenever the resurrection takes place after that and the white throne judgment consummates, Satan is cast, of course, into the lake of fire. Death and hell are cast into the lake of fire. And this is the second death. Blessed and holy are they which have part in the first resurrection, for on such the second death hath no power. Then the bride and, and those uh, people that have made their choice during the time of the millennium, they will be lifted up off the face of the earth and holy fire from God out of heaven will move upon the earth and then we will have a cataclysmic change as it was similar in the very beginning. It will go beyond the millennium. It will go beyond the Andalusian destruction. It will go past to where that there will be hundreds of miles of the surface of the earth that will be eradicated. All the, all the things of death that are harbored in the Grand Canyon, all of the things are bearing witness of the dinosaurs, all the things that are bearing witness of the past life which formerly lived upon the earth will be annihilated and it will be a new heavens and a new earth. Aren't you looking forward to it? Now when that comes, of course, the Lord Jesus will then move out of the office of the mediatorial king. And then it will be turned over to where that the Father God will be all in all. Now here again, it's not two different beings, but it is the invisible light, the invisible power of God, which will overshadow our Joseph as he sits upon the throne. He is that great light. Now who do you think would know the most about what God is? Jesus, which come out from God, or a theologian which went to a Bible school? Praise the Lord. Now who do you figure would know the most about Don and Betty Reagan's family? Me, being a member of that family, or Brother Wes Willis, which knows hardly anything about that family? Praise the Lord. So whose words are you going to take today? The word of the theologian or the words of the Lord Jesus? I'll stick with Jesus. Now notice the Lord Jesus says this in St. John 4, 24. God is a... Well, who you reckon would know? Jesus or a theologian? Now a theologian then says that God is a man. But Jesus came out from God. So who do you figure would know the family better? God is a spirit. And they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. Now Jesus does not say that God has a spirit. But God is a spirit. 
Notice again now in St. John 8, 42, we read it last night. Jesus said unto them, if God were your father, ye would love me. For I proceeded forth and came from God. Now notice this word, oh my, go out, come out, go or come forth of the point from which he departs. So actually Jesus, the Logos, came out of the eternal source which is the mighty Elohim. So it wasn't that God and Jesus and the Holy Ghost was all three there and they're just talking one day and they kind of decided, you know, as the Mormon doctrine believes that Jesus and the devil were brothers and that Jesus and the devil was kind of discussing up there in heaven of which one really would need to come down and the devil decided he'd come down and be the bad guy and let Jesus be the good guy, as I said, trash. Jesus and the devil ain't a bit more kin than me and the devil's kin. That's right. So where do we get all a lot of this stuff? We get it from theologians that don't know a bit more about God than a rabbit knows about snowshoes. That's right. But they think they do, you know. Uh, now, whenever we look at what the Lord Jesus said and where he projected that he had come from, he projects his origination breaking into time that he proceeded forth and come from God. So God then was a spirit. Same word again, St. John sixteen twenty eight. I came forth from the Father and am coming to the world. Again, I'll leave the world and go to the Father. And I love the way Brother Random explains this in Future Home. He says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. The three stages. It was an attribute first was in God. Then he thought of himself as being, notice this, a human being, being a human. Now, God wanted to be a human. What a strange thing. The eternal wanted to become mortal. The eternal God wanted to become tangible in the realm of time. When there was no atoms, no molecules, no light meters, nothing. But he thought of himself as being a human. And that transmitted him down to be Jesus. So he thought of himself as being a human and through the divine transmission of the radio waves of deity, he transmitted himself down to become Jesus. Amen. Now, if you'll ever be there, you was with him then. For there's only one form of eternal life and that's God and you had to be a part of God at the beginning not what you just chose down here He chose you. Praise God. All that the Father has given me will come. So, you know, whenever God transmitted this down to become Jesus, you understand that during the human transmission, you also were transmitted at the day of your birth. There was something from the divine regions of deity. And whenever you caught the breath of life, it was muscles jerking and twitching and so on, and you were carried around in your mother's body, and she nurtured you and fed 
begs you. But whenever right before you was time for you to be delivered, your mother began to get sweet, gentle, something come around her. And that attribute of God was transmitted down from the unseen realm. And when you caught the breath of life, guess what? You got a deposit. That's right. Notice now in Colossians chapter 1 verse 15, speaking again about the Lord Jesus, who is the image of the invisible God. So God is not a man. God does not have an image. God does not have a form. The only form the Spirit has is the body of the Lord Jesus. So God is invisible. And the saints said... Who is the image, not one of them, but the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature. Verse 16 says, For by him were all things created that are in heaven, that are in earth, visible and invisible dominions, whether they are dominions, principalities, powers, demons, angels, whatever they are. All things were created by him and for him, and he is before all things, and by him all things consist. Now remember, the Lord Jesus was the very one to manifest the Father God. So he gave the invisibility of God a visible appearance, or the word we quoted last night, which was amorphe. Notice again, John said, chapter 1, verse 18, no man has seen God at any time. So what did Moses say? What did Abraham say? What did Jacob say? Well, praise the Lord. They saw something and they said they saw God. But according to this, they didn't. They saw what they knew was of God. But no man has ever seen God. And the prophet goes on to say, and never will. Notice now, he says, no man has seen God at any time. The only begotten Son, which is in the bosom of the Father, he has declared him. Now, we know John was totally different in the way that he wrote the introduction of the gospel. Matthew, of course, writing of the genealogy on David's side, coming down through Mary and Joseph. Luke done exactly the same thing, and Mark did the same thing. But John did not start there. John never started with Mary. He never started with Joseph. But John said, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So John never started on the earthly parentage of the Lord Jesus, but John actually took him up. Now Matthew, Mark, and Luke had already been written by the time the Gospel of John was written, which was around 86, 87, something like that AD. So they had already written about the human side, but John felt led of the Spirit of God to go into the realm of where the Lord Jesus came from. By this time, Arianism had already started. And they believed that the Lord Jesus was the second person of the Godhead and that Jesus was less than God and that he had a borrowed authority and a borrowed power and so on and so on. So John felt led of the Lord to be able to straighten their hides out. I'm glad he did. He wanted to let them know before God ever, amen, ever created anything, the Word was there. And the Word was not an inferior person, but it was something that came forth out of the very eternal source himself. Oh my, thanks be to God. Notice 1 Timothy chapter 1 verse 17. Now unto the King, eternal, immortal, Invisible, the only wise 
God. Unto the king, eternal, immortal, invisible, the only wise God. Be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Who in the world is that? Well, that's your father. That's the light. That's the being where all source of this comes from. Well, what is the Lord Jesus? The visibility of that invisible God. Praise God. Brother, I don't understand. Well, pray and ask God to help you. Don't try to use your carnal mind. Philippians 2, 5. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form, which is morphe, of God. Look at the word morphe. The form by which a person or thing strikes the vision. External appearance, the form by which a person or thing strikes the vision. So it is something that is invisible and yet it becomes visible. And when it does, the tangibility of that is identified as morphe. So when the word goes out, now when we're saying in the beginning was the word, the word was with God, the word was God, the same as in the beginning with God, all things were created by him or that him is the only thing made that was made. But we're not talking about now the written Bible. We're not talking about the written word. The word is not just the Bible. The word is not just Brother Branham's tapes and Brother Branham's books. But the word was actually the personality, the visible personality of the invisible God. That's the context, the whole volume of the word. Don't you understand? There's so much more about God than the Bible ever declares. Do you honestly think the Bible declares everything about the eternal one? Absolutely not. We'll still be hearing about his greatness on down through eternity. Why? Because he is the word. The written word is part of that character. But Jesus was the very epitome of the heart of God that came out of the eternal. So he said, I proceeded forth and came from God. Who being in the morphe of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation. I love this word reputation. It's kino, which means to make void Make of none effect to empty or make empty, or said of Christ. Now, of course, this is the root word by which we get the other word, which is called kenosis. Now, kenosis is the act by which God empties himself out, the fullness of the attribute of what he is, and he empties that into a visible, tangible form. And this is why the scripture says that in Jesus dwelt the fullness of the Godhead bodily. How in the world is that possible? A little bitty old guy, probably smaller than me, uh, far as far as height and weight and all that, a smaller and yet the fullness of God dwelt in that body, the fullness of everything that heaven contains and the earth and the universe. But you see, this was an attribute. The attribute of the fullness of God was out of the very heart of God, immersed into the human body, and it become the amorphe of God. Y'all want to have church with me today? Now what? So here he comes, he makes himself of no reputation, but he took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. Now let's go back to the masterpiece and help maybe bring it a little bit clearer for you. The perfect image, the God-man. The perfect image, the God-man. Now this is the perfect image, the God-man. This is what you will wind up being when you get your new body. Because this is the perfect image. Adam was not in the perfect image. Adam had a reflection, of course, 
that would be allowed in time, but he was not in the perfect image because Adam could fall from where he was. The perfect image is that which can never fall, it can never transcend, it can never condescend, it can never because it is part of the eternal. So the perfect image is the God-man. When you and I receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost, we are that potentially. It is God inside of us still left in the human body. But the real identity is what? Eternal life in a body which has transcended mortality and can never die. This is what your glorified body will bring to you. The perfect image, the God-man, God in Immorphe, had changed from supernatural to the vision. And the vision was projected, notice now, the vision was projected into the image. Notice as it goes from one stage to another. He changed from supernatural to the vision. And the vision was projected into the image. And the image was smitten so that the supernatural could taste the feeling of death, God's perfect masterpiece. So the supernatural, it moves from supernatural to vision. From vision, then the vision is projected into the image, which was the Lord Jesus. So, oh my, for what reason? So the supernatural could taste death and take the penalty of his own law into himself. And when they looked at the Lord Jesus, of course, they did not have the ability to be able to see what was there. But the faith of Mary, the faith of Martha Magdalene, the faith of Peter declared what their eyes eyes could not see. They didn't see the amorphe of God either. They did not see the supernatural to the vision, the vision projected into the image. But they knew never a man had ever spake like this man. They knew, where are we going to go, Lord? Thou hast the words of eternal life. You ask Peter, Peter, do you understand? Why, of course I don't understand it, but I believe it anyhow. John, do you understand? Why, of course I don't understand it, but I believe in him was life and the life was the light of men. Notice it goes on in the masterpiece and says, but in this perfect masterpiece, he was the fullness of the Godhead bodily. He could not, oh my, could not only project Moses, he could project his entire being into this person and taste death for the whole human race, God's perfect masterpiece, unveiling of God. Now when it is said here that he emptied himself or poured out, now we could think like this, that he would vomit up or the English word of emptied or poured out, see something went out from him that was different from him. Now this is Arianism to where that they begin to believe that this was something that went out for part of God, but it was inferior to God. It was not the same quality, same essence of the Godhead. But that is false doctrine. But notice how Brother Brennan brings it in now. So God did not vomit up the Lord Jesus. God did not vomit up the Logos. Oh, praise be to God. Notice he said, we would think vomit up. The word English word, emptied or poured out something went out of him that was different from him but the word kinos in the Greek does not mean that he vomit up or an arm went off or an eye went out another person that is he changed himself and poured himself into oh glory it must have been so good brother Bram said amen himself then he changed himself. He poured himself into, into another mass, into another form. So if I could go from supernatural to Gatorade. 
Then I removed the lid. And I poured the Gatorade. Me and the Gatorade have just become one. You imagine these secret mysteries of God. God must have blackened it out. God must have darkened it in a sense where Satan couldn't see it and looking right at it. And he couldn't perceive what was going on. He would have never killed the Lord Jesus if he'd have known all this was happening. So God projected from the supernatural to the vision, projected the vision into the image, transmitted it down to become Jesus. Oh, glory to God. And yet when he would walk up before the throne of God, there was still an illuminescence around the throne. It looked like there was something still there. And it was something there. But the attribute of that fullness had went inside the image so that the oh, glory, the supernatural might be able to taste death. The Lord said unto my Lord, sit here at the my right hand until thine enemies become thy footstool. Notice the prophet said he changed himself. He poured himself into, into another mask, into another form. Not another person went out of him called the Holy Spirit. It was he himself. You get it. Congregation says he himself poured himself into people. Notice he don't stop with Jesus, but he brings it right on down to bride form. Christ in you. How beautiful, how wonderful to sing. God pouring himself into a human being, into the believer, pour out. It was a part of his drama to do so. God, all the fullness, all the Godhead body was in this person, Jesus Christ. He was God and God alone, not a third person or a second person or a first person, but the person. God veiled in human flesh. So Jehovah said to the flesh, Adonai. Set thou at my right hand, my position of authority, until I make your enemies your footstool. All that God was, he emptied himself, kinos, and came into Christ. And we into Christ are behind the veil. Well, I'm into Christ, you say, and then believe there's three gods? Baptize in the name of Father, Son, and Holy Ghost and believe all these traditions that you believe in of the elders? No, you're still behind the veil. Come into the veil. He, Christ, is the Word. First Timothy 3.16 For without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God, not one of them, but God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of angels, Preached unto the Gentiles. Who did? God. Believed on in the world. Received up into glory. Hebrews chapter 1 verse 1. God who in sundry times and diverse manners. Spake in time past to the fathers by the prophets. Hath in these last days unto us by his son. By whom he has appointed heir of all things. By whom also he made the worlds. Who being the brightness of his glory. And the express image of his person. Which is facsimile. A facts. That's where we get our word facts. 
This Greek word that Paul used is facsimile. God faxed himself down. Hallelujah. What is a fax? When you receive a fax of a contract or whatever, it is that the original was somewhere else. It might be in Tokyo. It might be in Beijing. It might be in Atlanta. It might be somewhere else. But you run it through a fax machine. And that fax machine, glory to God, digitizes that and sends it out on the other end. And there you receive an exact copy of what was faxed from you. Hallelujah. What did God do? God faxed himself down through time from eternity into the realm of mortals and faxed himself into his own human body and Jesus was the facts of God and then every time a son or daughter of God's born on the earth they receive their own facts you're the facts, reflection of an attribute that was in God before the foundation of the world. <laughs> Who being in the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person, upholding all things by the word of his power, not power of his word, but word of his power, which when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down on the right hand. Now, folks without revelation, what are they getting in their mind when you find this right hand? An old man. Old man with a big old beard, you know, old, real old, however old they think God is. And Jesus has got a little throne sitting down here like a little boy, you know, like a little, little throne. And so Jesus went up there and sat down and said, Daddy, did I do good? Daddy, was that okay what I'd done? Daddy, did, did, my, did my blood cover everything? Now, Daddy, I, I hope I pleased you because, now, Daddy, I, I really want to please you bad, Daddy. You're a heathen. <laughs> go ahead swallow it down it gets easier as you go just keep there you work it down there is no such a thing no wonder us Gentiles don't know how to take the gospel to the Jews oh my back to Psalms 110 now a psalm of David the Lord said unto my Lord remember now remember God is not a man Sit thou at my right hand until I make thine enemies thy footstool. Hebrews chapter 1, the prophet said, what does right hand mean? Well, not that God has got a right hand, that somebody is sitting on it. Right hand means power and authority. Got the authority of everything in heaven and in earth. Let me tell you how powerless that if there is any other God left in heaven that he is. When Jesus raises from the dead, he said, all power in heaven and in earth is given unto me. If there's another God in heaven, he ain't got enough power to make a donut. He ain't got enough power to flip on a light switch in heaven because Jesus had all power in heaven and earth is given unto me. Don't you understand? It's the eternal doing the work of mediator through the church agent, blending it right over into the millennium and then he turns himself back into himself in the eighth day. Question answered. Jesus said, I come from God, I go to God. Is that right? After his death, burial, and resurrection, ascension, when the body was taken up to sit at the right hand of God. Now, I don't mean God's got a right hand. God is a spirit. But at the right hand means power. 
and authority in God. Matthew twenty two forty two. What think ye of Christ? Amen. Whose son is he? They say unto him, the son of David. And he says unto them, how then doth David in spirit call him Lord, saying, the Lord said unto my Lord, sit thou on thy right hand till I make thine enemies thy footstool. If David then called him Lord, how is he his son? And no man was able to answer him a word. Neither durst any man from that day (laughs) force ask him any more questions. Now you imagine they had read that psalm of the church since they were little boys. It staggered them. It blew them away as we say in modern terms. They could not understand it. Do you realize how blessed you are? If you are standing here today and the inspiration of God has struck your heart and helped you to understand this song, oh, you ought to be shouting glory about right now. Because the mystery of who he is has been unveiled to our hearts. We don't stumble. We don't, oh, oh, I don't know. I don't know. I can't figure it out. I can't ask no more questions. No one say, praise be to God. Praise be to God. He poured out of himself and himself took my pain, my sorrow, my sickness. It was him all along. Acts chapter 2, verse 34, for David has not ascended into the heavens, but he himself, notice now, he saith himself, the Lord said unto my Lord, sit thou at my right hand till I make thine enemies thy food. So therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this same Jesus, whom you have crucified, both Adonai and Messiah. Hallelujah. The mediatorial kingdom will last until the last enemy is destroyed. There will be deaths after the millennium. The Father cannot come upon the throne in the millennium because the mediatorial kingdom must run the consummation and accomplish the glory of the order of Melchizedek. The priesthood and the kingship was guarded so jealously in the Old Testament that when a king ever ventured to try to become priest, God smote him. Why? That position was reserved for the millennium. That position was reserved for Adonai. When he will be both king and priest. After the order of Melchizedek. Notice in 1 Corinthians 15, 24. Then cometh the end when he shall have delivered up the kingdom to God, even the Father. When he shall have put down all rule and all authority and power. For he must reign till he has put all enemies under his feet. The last enemy that shall be destroyed is death. 
For in he hath put all things under his feet. But when he saith all things are put under him, it is manifest that he is accepted, which did put all things under him. And when all things shall be subdued, then shall the Logos also himself be subject unto him that put all things under him, that the light, the invisible, the Father hanging over the throne may be all in all. Can I go on? Notice Richard home. The city with a throne in the top. Revelation 21, 23. They have no need of the light for the Lamb and the Lord God is the light thereof. See, the Lord God is that pillar of fire that followed the children of Israel through the wilderness. He ascended upon the throne in that perfect kingdom. The kingdom that Jesus is to surrender to the Father. Some of y'all are sitting there and you're having an office time. Everybody else keep from seeing too, ain't you? Get your glasses on. Or maybe I should say get them off. The more traditional concept. It's the same God all along. Don't you understand what Jesus is? It's the human expression of the invisible God. And God uses this human tangible expression in a secondary form of himself until the very last days of the millennium when the mediatorial age is ceased. And when it does, it will be the invisible hanging over the visible. But it will no longer be in the office of mediatorial work. But it will be the eternal king with eternal life among his eternal subjects. But listen what it will look like now. The millennium is not the perfect kingdom. Still under sanctification. The kingdom that Jesus is supposed to surrender to the Father that God may be all in all. Jesus sits upon his throne here as our Joseph. And the king is that light that will be on top of Mount Zion. And his holy light will flood the entire city. Can you imagine a city? which is 1,500 miles that way and that way and that way and that way and that way. And this Father God will be so brilliant, it will light the entire city. And the light will actually be visible for miles away from the city itself. The capstone has arrived. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Hallelujah. This cannot be so in the millennium, friends. The mediator is still saving the heathen. The mediator is still reaching out to those that are becoming into him. But in the eighth day, all saving is done. And the king is that light that will be on top of Mount Zion. And his holy light will flood the original and true floodlight. (laughs) Thank you, Jesus. 
Thank you, Lord. Question answer 64. On top of Mount Zion will set the Lamb. And the city will need no light. For the Lamb is the light thereof. And above the Lamb will be the Father, which is the Logos, God. The great light, the eternal light that will shine just above the throne. So here's God's human expression, the Lord Jesus. And he'll sit on the throne and above him in the eighth day will be this light that just emanates all over everywhere. Now notice the Bible says that the city doesn't have any need of light. Doesn't say anything outside the city. You realize how blessed you are? Do you understand positionally? You'll find yourself in that city according to the predestinated unmerited grace given to you in the realm of mortality. And when you have transcended mortality and moved into the eternal, you'll be allowed by the mercy and the grace of God to live in that city. Why? You're living in the city that he's building right now. Oh, children, don't look down your nose on people because they can't see what you see. Don't ridicule and make fun of them and stick your nose up in the air like you're something. You ain't nothing but a bag of dust. It's the mercy of God to every one of us that opens our hearts and helps us to see. Don't you understand those who don't, don't ridicule are part of the word. They'll be the ones that'll live outside the city, but that ain't who you are. This word is your life. This word is your father. This word is everything. Oh my, the Lord Jesus is not an option to a real believer. Serving God is not well off. Think about it. There's no such a thing to a real believer. They're not thinking about whether they want to serve him or not. Their mind is made up. Amen. They're going to serve him come hell or high water. No matter what the Pope says, what mama says, anybody else says, they are part of eternal life. They have been transmitted down from the eternal into a body of flesh and it has born, amen, been born again. So, above the Lamb will be the Father, which is the Logos. God, that great light, the eternal light that will shine just above the throne. And Jesus will not be on his Father's throne. He'll be on his throne. And the Father will hover over the Son. Which the Father and Son will be one. And while they're yet speaking, I'll answer. And before they can think, I'm thinking for them. That sounds like a real place to me that I want to go. And while they are yet speaking, I'll answer. And before they can think, I'll be thinking for them. That's right. And Jesus will commit a perfect age. The perfect living God that has redeemed and give over to the Father. Is that right? Will turn to God the Father, which is spirit, not a man. So what will you be seeing? What will you be looking at and touching? Jesus. I don't know about you. Since I heard about him, I've wanted to touch him. Oh, he's touched me a few times. I've heard his voice and all that, but it ain't quite the same. Is me not been able to touch him back. You know, as humans are, we want to touch. 
Can you comprehend in your mind? God wanted to touch. He didn't want to just be spirit. But God wanted to touch and be touched. It's amazing the scientific studies that have proven people in hospitals with high blood pressure, all kinds of different things that it helps them to cope with stress and many other things just by another human coming in and patting them on the hand or the arm and say, you're going to be all right. You're going to get better. And scientifically proven that their blood pressure will lower and stress hormones and cortisol and different things inside of their body. Actually, just by one unregenerate human touching another. Can you imagine when the Lord Jesus Jesus walks out that day at the marriage supper of the Lamb and he takes his garment in his hand and reaches out and said, don't cry no more. And he wipes the tears from your eyes and we're able by the grace of God to reach over and take our hands and actually touch him. Oh, Lord Jesus. David said, the Lord said unto my Lord, sit thou at my right hand till I make thine enemies thy footstool. You understand, I know, Christ has many enemies. Some are already overcome by the dispensation of the kingdom of God, by the baptism of the Holy Ghost. And so do you have many enemies. And if it's for the cause of Christ, your enemies are his enemies. Is that right? When the beast and the false prophet will be subjugated to the reign and the throne of the Lord Jesus, the devil will be cast into hell. And for a thousand years, we will rule on this earth. At the end of that thousand years, Satan will be loosed for a season out of his prison. And he'll gather together those on the earth and there will be a resurrection at the same time. All the dead will be raised that have lived down through the millennia. Can you imagine? Billions of people. And they will come against the holy city. And against you. What a way to end a honeymoon. All of a sudden a resurrection is going out there and there's billions of people standing right outside your honeymoon suite. And most of them don't like you. Oh my Praise be to God. Then what will he do? The great white throne judgment of course will set in and he will cast all of this into death. Eventually death itself will be annihilated and be destroyed. You see, David goes on to say, The Lord shall send the rod of thy strength out of Zion. Rule thou, rule thou in the midst of thine enemies. As we said last night, and I remember when the heathen are raised up, they are not raised converted. They are not raised believers. But many of them will raise up there in that place wherever they're being held. All these many, many years, there'll be people that'll be raised up that'll be dead 5,000 years, 3,000 years, whatever more, and they will raise up and they must be taught about the truth. They will then have the opportunity to choose which way they want to go. Oh my. As they do, then what will the Lord Jesus do? Psalms 2 will be fulfilled. Ask for me the heathen and I will give the deeds of thine inheritance. Sit thou at my right hand till I make thine enemies thy footstool. Every king, every nation, every domain, every kingdom will be subject to the Lord Jesus. Amen. 
the deliverer out of Zion. Romans eleven twenty five. For I will not, brethren, that you should be ignorant of this mystery, lest you should be wise in your own conceits that blindness in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles be come in. And so all Israel shall be saved as it is written. There shall come out of Zion the deliverer, and he shall turn away ungodliness from Jacob. Can I have a few more minutes? Notice in verse 3 of Psalms 110. Thy people shall be willing in the day of thy power. The Messiah now seated in Zion. Has a people who are described as the morning dew. Where does dew come from? Heaven. The congealing of moisture. On a cool night when the temperature will drop down just at the right degree. And the moisture will congeal on your car, on a clothesline, whatever more. And it begins to hang out on the clothesline. Praise God. Notice he says, thy people shall be willing. Here you go again. At the end of the honeymoon, I mean, we're just packing up our suitcases. We've just had this wonderful time. And Jesus says, you boys want to fight again? What about it, sons of God? Y'all ready? What about it, sons of God? I'm talking to you. Seems to be part of our lot. We've had to fight against the devil. We've had to fight against sin. We've had to fight against Laodicea. We're going to have to fight at Armageddon. Now we're going to have to fight again. But this is the last one here. This is the last battle. Praise God. Notice what it says about these. Thy people shall be. He like to beg of old please, would you come please do something for me? I'll tell you one thing. It means so much to me. All he's got to do is mention, Brother Randy, we're on our horse and gone. Where do you want me to go, Lord? You want me to take out Iran? You want me to take out Babylon? What, what do you want me to do? Just send me, you want to send me right there in the thick of it? Send me right there with the devil. I like to box his jaws. I'm willing, Lord. They're not well out there, was they? I didn't join this army. I'd have to fight. What you come along for? The dress parade? If you're in the army of the living God, you're going to have to fight. Everything you get from God, you're going to have to fight. But that's only half the story. People who go to hell fight to go to hell. They fight over mama's prayers. They fight over a godly man of God preaching the word. They fight over the mercy of God. They fight over the blood of Jesus. So if you're going to fight to go one way or another, why don't you join us and fight to go up this way? Amen. He won't have to beg them, but thy people shall be willing in the day of thy power. What a profound way to describe war. Thy people shall be willing in the day of thy power in the beauties of holiness. <laughs> From the womb of the morning. This is an all-volunteer army, of course. And they've all been birthed by the breath of God. And they're just as fresh as it was when they had fought Armageddon. They're just as fresh as they was when they lived in their lot in time in the church ages. There will stand Luther. There will stand Wesley. And the Lord Jesus will say to Luther, are you ready, Martin? He'll say, ready, Lord. 
I'm ready. Just as ready as I was that day when I knocked out to attack the 95 Thesis on the door of the church in Wittenberg, Germany. I am ready to fight again. Are you wrestling? Are you ready, John? I am ready, sir. Are you ready, Charles Rusty? I am ready. Look over to Brother Branham. Brother Branham, are you ready? I am ready, sir. Hey, look over to me. Are you ready, Donnie? I said, yes, sir. I'm ready. Are you ready, Brother Tom? Are you ready, saints of God? We are willing, amen, to bring this thing to an end. David's Lord, the Messiah, has an old army that is willing, fresh as the morning dew. Thy people shall be willing on the day of thy power and the beauties of holiness. From the womb of the morning, thou hast the dew of thy use. They can't never get old. Look out, devil. Can you imagine a whole millions of young warriors? They've lived on the, on the earth now for a thousand years in the millennium. Ain't one of them looking one day older than the dead when the day that they're born. Can you imagine when we've been there 10,000 years bright shining as the sun? There won't be one wrinkle. There won't be one gray hair. You'll have just as many hairs in your head as you had the day you got raised or erected up. Even some of you ain't got no have some. Praise the Lord. All of our wrinkles will be gone. All of our, 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 you know, everything about us, our glasses, our contacts, our crippled leg, it'll all be annihilated. You expect a king to be a warrior, but a priest? A priest? Who ever heard of a priest being a warrior? And there's a whole bunch of them. They're king priests. <laughs> First Chronicles chapter 27 verse 5. The third captain of the host for the third month was Benaniah, the son of Jehoiadiah, a chief priest. And in his course were 20 and 4,000. So David had a man on his side that was a priest, a fighting preacher. I mean, priest. That is that Benaniah who was mighty among the 30 and above the 30. And in his course was Amizabad, his son. So we're talking about a priest that was such a bad dude. I mean, they had thousands of soldiers, but they narrowed them down to 30. This guy was left among the 30. And then when it got done, he was above the 30. Imagine Jesus saying, that's the kind of man I want that's got my back. <laughs> he was one of David's mighty men that became the captain of the bodyguard. A priest. Preachers don't know how to just pray. Preachers don't know how to just read and study the Bible. They can whoop, slit throats if need be. I don't like the bloody mess, but to defend my Lord, I will cut your ears off. Second Samuel 23, 20. And Benaniah, the son of Jehoiada, the son of the valiant man, Kebazil, who had done many acts, he slew two lion-like men of Moab. 
He went down also and slew a lion in the midst of a pit in the time of snow. Jesus said, yep, I got a whole bunch of Ben and I's with me. He slew an Egyptian, a goodly man. And the Egyptian had a spear in his hand. But he went down with a staff and plucked the spear out of the Egyptian's hand and slew him with his own false doctrine and cut his head off and said he's a liar. And was stood him to the face and said you're a false prophet. These things that Benaniah, the son of Jehoiada, the same among three mighty men. He was more honorable than the 30, and he attained not to the first three, but David set him over against his guard. And eventually, he became the captain of the host, the general of Solomon's army. Brother and sister, Benaniah. You imagine a whole army like this. Praise God. Because the Lord hath sworn and will not repent. Thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. So Jesus will still be after the order of Melchizedek in the millennium. What is the order of Melchizedek? The power of an endless life. King God, King Theophany, King Jesus. All three in one. You come from God. Now you have your theophany by the time this sets in. And you're married to King Jesus. You're revealed in a trinity like he is. This day. <laughs> Praise God. Don't you love him? Praise be to God. Oh, children, what awaits us? What a time awaits us. When our blessed Lord Jesus, Carol told me last night, she said, I don't understand where the bride's going to be. Where's the bride going to live? I said, don't worry about it. Keep this one thing in mind. This honeymoon is between you and Jesus. You're not going to be left out. It's amazing to me looking at all this that the Bible mentions more about the nations and the heathen and the kings than it actually does the bride. The bride hardly comes into view in the scripture as far as where she is and what she's going to do and what she's going to be doing in the millennium. Must be one of them secret surprises that men do sometimes to their wives. That the little bride just said, Lord, what about me? I mean, where am I? I don't want to be out there fighting all the time. And I told Carol, I said, can you imagine us having a honeymoon and you on one side of an island and me on another? Can you imagine the honeymoon and Jesus is in one country and you're in another? That don't sound like no honeymoon to me. 
But what does he do? He keeps the suspense holding and waiting for the anxious pulsation of your heart. What will it be, Brother Donnie? I don't have a clue. But I know this. It will be wonderful. And don't worry, friend. You ain't going to be disappointed. I imagine some of you all, whenever you got a place for a honeymoon and you rented this place and that place and you tried to read the reviews and, oh my, you want just a perfect place to take your wife and once you get there, it wasn't quite like what you thought it would be. Well, I can guarantee you this, whenever you get there, this will be way above and beyond anything that you could imagine in your mind. And don't worry, you won't be disappointed. When men will reach over and grab a hold to their wife's hand, and remember now, your wife is not there with you, the glorified bodies, in reproduction sexually. That part's gone. But the prophet says you'll just be something that is yours. Right. And you'll spend eternity together. Amen. Both of you young, praise God. Never getting old, never getting weary. Oh, blessed be the Lord. Don't you love him with all your heart? Amen. Don't you want to go? Yes, sir. Let's pray together. Oh, Lord Jesus, how we long for that day. I pray, Father, if there's a person standing here tonight or one that streamed this service somewhere or one that will archive it, Lord, if they're not ready, may the Spirit of God deal with their lives. Lord Jesus, for those of us who are born again and been on this journey for many, many years, may you help us as well. We do not want to become complacent we don't want to become slothful and lazy in this cold Laodicean age. Lord, we want to be more in love with you than we ever have before. Amen. We believe that our experience can continually be renewed as the freshness of dew, as it falls from the heaven, as it were, and it condenses. Lord Jesus, we believe the anointing can be that way with the people of God, that the anointing can condense afresh around our lives, renew our vision. Renew our love, our strength. O oh, Lamb of God, minister to your people today. Help us to be faithful, Lord. Dear God, servants of God traveling in different parts of the world, trying to reach your people. Brothers going to Japan. Brothers going to different parts of Europe and Africa. Lord, going to Vietnam. Going to so many different parts of the world. And risking somewhat arrest or even their lives for the sake of of being able to bring this light to your children. Oh, Father, may that last one be brought in. Lord Jesus, help us, I pray. Remember our loved ones, Lord, our children, our families. Lord, we know we can't pray them into being bride, but we pray you'd have mercy on them, Lord. Save them, God. Let them be saved. Let them at least come up on the other side. If they're not bride material, we pray that you'd save them, Lord. Abraham's prayer was what helped Lot out of the fix he was in. Abraham never prayed to become bride. He just prayed you'd have mercy on him. And you did because of Abraham's sake. Father, we love you, Lord. Help us today, I pray, Lord Jesus. May we have a character molded in us that is fit to rule in the millennium. Open our hearts to the things we've heard today, Lord Jesus, I pray. Thank you, dear God. We love you, Lord Jesus, with all of our hearts. Can we just raise our hands down in the presence of the King, if you would? Don't you want to be their children? Isaiah said, 
They will be there them and their offspring. You'll not build and another inhabit. Brother Brennan, quoting that in Future Home, said, Your son won't take your farm because you'll be there and you'll live. You'll be your farm and your neighbors by you. Praise God. Amen. There'll be no violence, can you imagine? There'll never be one crime committed in the millennium. Never be anybody picked up by the police because there won't be any police like that. Nobody will commit a murder. Nobody will commit a rape or any molestation or no violence. Imagine a world with no violence, a world with no fear. There'll be no locks on your doors. You won't need them. You won't need no locks on your windows. You won't need no guard dog. There's nothing to guard and watch. It will be peace forevermore. Praise God. How wonderful. How wonderful. Don't you want to go to that land? Don't you want to go to that land? Don't you want to go?
praising in that land. We'll be praising the King in that land. Well, I'm bound. We'll be praising in that land. We'll be praising Him in that land. We'll be praising in that land where I'm bound. Well, don't you want to go to that land? Don't you want to go? you want to go to that land where I'm bound? Don't you want to go to that land? Don't you want to go to that land? Don't you want to go to that land where I'm sing just a little of that song let's sing this as we get ready to leave this morning has it been good for you to have been here remember service Wednesday night shake somebody's hand before you leave today tell them you love them in the name of the Lord we'll come back on Wednesday night and do this again is that right when King Jesus shall come back to earth again he will show his righteous love to every Oh, when King Jesus comes to live with us 
Okay. 